0: Alaykum, okay. So inshallah today we're going to try to complete the tafsir of Surah Al-Falaq. Um, last week I know we kind of went on a tangent and we spoke about the science of qira'at and we kind of did like a biography of all of the um ten Quran as well as the um, you know, for each one of them, their individual students And that took up quite a lot of time um, But inshallah today we're going to uh, finish off this surah The reason why we did that last week as I mentioned Is because um, in the next verse that we're going to do the tafsir of In surah Al-Falaq We're going to be speaking about one of those um, differences in Qiraat So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah uh, In surah Al-Falaq um, We are now on verse number 4 Allah says, وَمِن شَرٍ فِي العقد. And as we've said a number of times, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing is He's seeking refuge, or He's telling us to seek refuge in Him. And then Allah starts from something very broad, very general, from the evil of all that He has created. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes into more specific categories and examples. So the first of those examples that we covered a couple of weeks back is when Allah says, and from the evil of the night when it darkens. And that speaks about all of the harm and the evil and the dangers that the night can bring. Whether that be you know from humans or from devils or from jinn or whatever aspect it may be. And now in this verse, verse number four, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes into something even more specific and something even uh, that is perhaps a greater danger. And that is the danger of magic. Allah says And from the evil of the blowers in knots. From the evil of the blowers in knots. Al-Imam ibn al-Qayyim in his tafsir um, he goes into a lengthy explanation right, of how um, some types of, of magic, evil magic are done in the way in which or enacted in a way that requires the tying of knots and blowing on them. Right with the words that they say and whatever else it is that they use in order to cast those spells. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, in this verse, He uh, going through like the linguistics and, and the word-for-word kind of translation, Allah Azzawajil says, وَمِنْ nafathat," <ثَات> And from the evil of, and we've discussed, you know, وَمِنْ شَرْبِ before, because it's a repetition. And then Allah Azzawajil says, "Nafathat," <ثَات> Right, the blowers. And the nafath in the Arabic language, um, is to blow with some spittle. Right? In Arabic, you have different types of blowing that are mentioned generally in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. You have something called nafkh, noon nafkh, which means simply to blow. Right? And that's something mentioned numerous times in the Qur'an, numerous times in the Sunnah. For example, the blowing of the trumpet is called nafkhu right? the blowing of the trumpet. That simple air, right? when you blow out with air, that's nafkh. Then, if you like, the next level up is nefeth, right, what's mentioned in this verse. And that's when you blow its majority air, but there is some spittle, some saliva that comes out, right, to blow or to spit very lightly. Right? That's called nefeth. And then you have a third level which is higher, and that is Tefan. Right? And that's the one if you cast your minds back a couple of weeks, that's the one that we spoke about in which the Prophet ﷺ said that if you're in salah and shaitan comes to you and he tries to distract you, then make tefl on your left three times. Right? And what that is, the scholars say, is that it's with slightly more spittle. Right? And the last level is what is called busaq in Arabic language, and that is to spit. So you have nafakh, which is to blow, busak on the other extreme, which is just saliva, just spitting. And then you have nafath and tefah, And out of the two, nafath is of a lesser category, meaning that it's more air and less bitter. So this is the type of, if you like blowing in knots that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to, and this like differentiation is mentioned in the books of Arabic linguistics, Arabic uh, language, and even in some of the books of tafsir. What is being referred to, who are the blowers? Um, there are three main Opinions amongst the scholars of tafsir as to who's being, who's, who's being referred to when Allah Azzawajal says, the blowers in knots. women شرن نفاثات. The first opinion is um, the opinion that it is women, female sorcerers and magicians. And that's why the word nafat comes in the feminine form. It right? comes in the feminine form. نفاثات in the recitation of Ruweis and Ya'qub right? so If you cast your minds back to last week One of the ten Qur'ah that we had was Ya'qub Was one of the imams that lived in Basra And he has two, um, two narrators Or if you like two students Rawh and Ruwais Ruweis, In his recitation He reads this verse as وَمِن شَرٍ نَافِثَاتِ Fil So he takes the singular feminine form Whereas the rest of the Qur'an, they read it in the plural feminine form. Right? So, that's the first opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. That it refers to women. Right? It refers to women. Women who are sorcerers, women who are magicians, and so on. And this is the opinion of Abdurrahman ibn Zayd ibn Aslam, Muqatil ibn sulaiman Al-Farra, Abu Ubaida. And by the way, if you come across in books of, of Tafsir, the name Abu Ubaida, is referring to the scholar Muammar. Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna rahimahullah and also ibn, uh, Imam al-Tabari mentions this as an opinion amongst the classical scholars of Tafsir they basically took the opinion that it's you know, as it is literal meaning Allah جل, says the feminine form and therefore Allah جل, is referring to the magic and the sorcery done by female magicians female sorceresses and the scholars said, why? why did Allah Azzawajal specify them? And they had two approaches to why. Why is it that Allah Azzawajal specifies women in this verse? The first approach is that this is just an example. It's an example. So it refers to both. It refers to men and to women. But this just happens to be an example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a tafsir by example. And he mentions the feminine form instead of the masculine form. And this was the opinion of Imam al-Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah, the famous scholar of tafsir from the scholars of the tabi'een. And the second opinion is that it's done uh, to show the majority, to denote who the majority are, that fall into this type of magic, specifically. And... um, this was the opinion of Shaykh al-Usaymin rahimahullah in his tafsir. He mentions this and he says that Allah Azza wa Jal does this a number of times in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to something and he uses the feminine form because it's more common and prevalent amongst them but it doesn't exclude men. It doesn't exclude men necessarily. So for example, when Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Qur'an uh, in Surah An-Nur وَالَّذِينَ يَرْمُونَ الْمُحْصَنَاتِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَأْتُوا بِأَرْبَعَةِ شُهَدَاءَ فَاجْرِدُوهُمْ ثَمَانِينَ jaldah those who slander, chaste women, and then don't bring four witnesses to attest to that, then lash them 80 times. So even though the verse says, those who slander, chaste women, if someone was to slander a chaste man, the same ruling would apply. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to women because they are the majority who fall into this. And that brings us to an interesting point, an interesting issue. And that is that, even though Allah is, is telling us to seek refuge from all types of, of magic, right? All types of sorcery, evil magic, and so on. There is a certain type that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alluding to, a certain type of magic. And that is the magic that it is more likely that women would engage in, you know, or female sorceresses, you know, going with the opinion of those scholars who take that to be. And that's only one of the three opinions uh, amongst the scholars of Tafsir that it refers to women. And the reason for that is, is because it refers to the type of magic through which a husband and wife are caused to split up and divorce. right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the verse of uh, Harut and Marut, right? the two angels that were sent, and Allah Azza wa Jal says, "What uh, مَا تَتْرُوا الشَّيَاقِينَ عَلَى مُلْكِ سُلَيْمَانِ وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانِ وَلَكِنَّ Sulaiman didn't disbelieve in Allah, it was the shayateen, the devils that disbelieved in Allah, they taught magic. And then Allah says further on in that same verse, مِنْهُمَا مَا يُفَرِّقُونَ بِهِ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَزَوْجِهِ And they learn through that type of magic that which causes a husband and wife to split up. Right? And we know in the hadith that the Prophet told us in the hadith in the Sahih Muslim that Iblis has his throne upon, upon the, you know, the oceans. And I think we mentioned this a couple of week, weeks ago. And he sends out his armies and his, you know, like his soldiers and so on. And then he asks them to do evil. And the one that's closest to him is the one who has the highest station. And that station is reserved for the one who comes back and reports that he caused a husband and wife to split up or to divorce. Right? And so they say that this is the type of magic that Allah Azzawah referred be because this was common amongst the Quraysh. This type of magic was very common amongst the Quraysh. So for example, a woman is jealous because she wanted to marry a man, but that man married someone else. So she would cause some type of magic to take place that would cause that couple to split up right? or the opposite way around where she would do some type of magic in order to make him fall in love with her and so on and so forth right? this was very common amongst the people of Quraysh so this was the opinion of, one, of the, one, uh, one group of scholars amongst the scholars of Tafsir another group of scholars from amongst them they said that the word nafathat refers to male and, and female and they said that it means magicians in general and this was the opinion of Mujahid and Ikrimah and al hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala and Qatada and Al-Dahhaq many of the scholars of Tafsir, they said that it refers to both male and female right? and you know why, why then does Allah Azzawajal mention the female they would give you know one of those examples like al hassan al-Basri said it's just by way of example right so they would have a reasoning for that or for example that it's you know more likely to occur this type of magic that Allah Azzawajal is referring to and Allah knows best the third opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir is that it refers to um, the souls. It's in the feminine form because it refers to souls, the souls that cast this type of magic. And in Arabic, the word for souls is an-nufus, and an-nufus in the Arabic language is a feminine form. Right? It's a feminine form, and so therefore the words that come from that are also in feminine form. So therefore they say that it's not referring to males or females, it's referring to souls. And souls can obviously be male or female. Right? It's referring to the souls itself because the souls are the ones that carry that evil. And that's where Allah uses the feminine form. And this was the opinion of Az-Zamakhshari and Arrazi razi and Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah in his tafsir. He supported this opinion as well. And he said that this is the strongest of those opinions. Right? So we have these like three opinions, and to be honest, very you know they're kind of like similar. There's not actually much difference between them, um, whether it's souls or whether it's you know males and females or whether it's females. There isn't much difference in them. What Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is referring to here is to seek refuge from the evil that is cast through magic and through sorcery. Right? And in the hadith in Ibn Hibban. The Prophet ﷺ said that Jibreel or Jibreel rather, came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said to him, Are you ill, O Muhammad? And the Prophet ﷺ replied, Yes. And then he made ruqya over him and he said, In the name of Allah, I make ruqya over you from every harm that afflicts you. And from the evil of every jealousy and every evil eye, may Allah cure you. So as we said in the, in the recitation of Raways, he says, And everyone says, uh, And the rest of the Quran say, Annafathat. And one of the reasons why you have that, or the, one of the differences between those two Qur'as, between those two recitations, is that the one that is in the singular form, so we seek refuge in Allah from the singular magician, from the magician, or the sorcerer, Or sorcerers. And nafathat, we seek refuge in Allah from the magicians, right, and from all of the sorcerers. Is that we ask Allah to protect us from the general harm, right, which is the concept of harm, which is the plural form, magic in all of its forms, in all of its harms, you know, just the concept and the evil of magic, we seek refuge in Allah from it. And then we seek refuge in Allah from the specific magician that may seek to harm us. So we have the general concept, the general idea that we seek refuge and protection in Allah from. So Allah mentions the general form, right? It includes everyone. The plural form is a general form. includes everyone. And then the specific form, which is the singular form, which is specific to us or to someone that we know, someone that we love. Right? And so Allah combines between the two. And that is from the beauties of studying the science of Qiraat. One of the other interesting um, things that's mentioned in some of the books of tafsir is when you look at the three things that we seek refuge from in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes two of them right in the last three verses of this surah, when we're speaking about specifics now, the specific dangers, Allah azza makes two of them general and one of them he makes particular. So Allah wa says, وَمِن is a general word from the evil of the night, and he doesn't specify it. And then Allah just says in the last verse, Wamin Sharri hasidin," from the evil of every jealous person, and he doesn't specify. But in this verse, what does Allah say? Wamin an He doesn't say wamin sharri he says. And he adds the al, which is the particular form. And what Al does is it specifies. Whenever Al Aliflam is entered into a word, it specifies. For example, you say bait, which means house. Al bait means the house. Right? You're specifying. Rajul means man, Al Rajul means the man. You're specifying who it is that you're referring to. So why does Allah Azza wa make the rest of it general? But when it comes to sorcerers and magicians, he specifies. So some of the scholars said because jealousy and you know the dangers that come at night are general. Right? You don't really know who has jealousy in their hearts and who doesn't. Very difficult to tell. People may be jealous of you. Sometimes it becomes apparent. Sometimes it's not. It's hidden in someone's heart. What happens during the night? What may occur, may not occur. It's something which is hidden. But when it comes to sorcery and magic, it's specific. How is it specific? Number one, the people practicing magic have to learn it. Jealousy you don't really learn. It's just something which occurs in you. And you have to battle against it if you're prone to that type of jealousy. However, magic is something which has to be sought has to be learned, has to be studied. So Allah specifies it, because you can't just go to anyone and ask them to do magic. Most people don't have a clue. They're not magicians. They don't involve themselves in this. It's something which has to be studied. It's a form that has to be learned. Someone has to go and seek it out, number one. Number two, then the person who wants the magic to be enacted, right? The wants the magic to be done, and so and so they have to go and seek out those magicians. So first the magician has to learn their trade. And number two, the one who wants the magic to be done, because those magicians are getting paid for this. They're not. You know, most of them aren't just uh, giving or doing magic for no reason. But someone will come to them and say, "So and so, I want you to cast magic on them." So they have to be sought out. So Allah specifies them, because there is a certain danger that isn't just openly available. It's not just something commonly available. People, certain people, are known for this, and then you have to go and seek them out. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies this danger because it is a specific danger that is sought, that is learned, that people go out and seek, that people pay for, that people will do certain things to enact. It is a specific harm, whereas the other ones that Allah which mentions in the surah are more generic. Are more generic. And the Prophet told us sallallahu in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an an-nasai, whosoever ties a knot and blows on it meaning for the purposes of magic then they have done magic whoever blows a knot and and whoever ties a knot and blows on it has enacted magic and whoever enacts magic has committed shirk and whosoever places their trust in something then they will be left to that trust that they have placed in that thing one of the interesting issues that comes and arises from this verse amongst scholars and one of the sciences of Qur'an also, is when the scholars come to tafsir and they extract from it the verses that speak about rulings, right, ahkam al-Qur'an, the rulings that we derive from the Qur'an, and some scholars wrote books specifically on this, so you have ahkam al-Qur'an by al jassas and by Ibn al-Arabi and by others, they came and just took out the verses that speak about rulings, and they made that specific or standalone book of tafsir of the Qur'an. One of the interesting things that comes as a result of this is the issue of ruqya, right? And how to do ruqya and uh, is it something which is allowed or not allowed? Should we do ruqya? And even the manner in which ruqya is done. Because in this verse, one of the most common ways of doing ruqya is what you recite the Qur'an or you recite du'as or whatever it is that you're reciting. And then what do you do? You blow, right? You recite the Qur'an and you blow on yourself. Or you recite it over your children and you blow over them. Right? So one of the interesting issues that comes as, and arises from this is that some of the scholars of the past used to dislike the blowing aspect. So they would say, you make a ruqiyah, but you don't blow. Because of this verse of the Qur'an in which Allah seeks refuge or tells us to seek refuge from those who blow in knots. Ikrimah rahimahullah, was one of the students of Ibn Abbas, rahimah, anh, said, it is not befitting for the person who does Ruqya that they should blow. Or that they should wipe. Ibrahim al Nakhari, also one of the famous scholars of the Tabi'een, said that they used to dislike the element of blowing in ruqya. Right? And some of them said, uh, or it's reported, for example, in some narrations, that one of the scholars he entered upon Dahaq, Rahim Allah is also one of the famous scholars of Tafsir, and he was ill, he was sick. So he said to him, shall I not recite over you Falaq al Nas, these two surahs? And he said in reply, Yes. It's fine, but don't blow over me. Read over me, but don't blow. right? And this was one, like so you have this like element from amongst the scholars of Tafsir and the scholars of the Tabi'ini, that they would say you make Ruqya, but you don't blow. And then there are others who said, no, you can blow. Right? Like Atah, also one of the former students of Ibn Abbas, anhuma, he said that there's nothing wrong with blowing after, after making Ruqya. And Muhammad ibn al taala, also one of the famous scholars of the past, he said that, I don't think that there is any harm in blowing. And he said, when the scholars differ over issues like this, we go back to the sunnah. And when we go back to the sunnah, we find a number of a hadith in which the Prophet wasallam used to recite and he would actively blow. Right? So it's possible that those scholars didn't know or weren't aware of those hadith, or it's possible, and they didn't say it's haram, they said it's this line shouldn't be done. Maybe it's something which they wanted people to kind of stay away from so that it doesn't fall into this aspect of what's mentioned in this verse. But it's reported, uh, for example, in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet وسلم, a woman came to him and so he recited over her and he blew over her. right? And it's mentioned in a number of other um, other narrations as well. So, when we seek refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we say, fil 'uqad." We seek refuge in Allah azza wa from the harm and the evil of sorcerers and magicians who blow in knots. Right? And the word in the Arabic language means knots. But in the linguistic Arabic, uh, or its original Arabic word, the, the, in, in Arabic language its origin, comes from something which is tied, right? And that's why, the knot comes from because it's tied together but also another word that is very similar that falls into that meaning that we we're speaking about that the type of magic that is predominantly being um, spoken about here or that it was very common uh, at least amongst the Quraysh was the one that split people in marriage right because one of the words for the contract or the word for the contract of marriage is what? aqd right and aqd means contract because you tie two people together so whether it's the contract of marriage, contract of business, any type of contract in Arabic, one of the words for it is act, And act because you tie and you bind two people into that contract. Right. So it's very interesting, again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the word uqad, which here means knots, because that's what they do, they blow knots. But it's also the same word that refers to marriage contracts and other contracts, because when people normally enact marriage, it is to get some gain. Right? Some gain that they want or some benefit that they want or harm to fall upon someone because of some benefit that they will gain from that harm. So splitting someone in marriage, causing a business to collapse, causing a business contract to, to break up, wherever it may be. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word ruqad, which means not, but it has that secondary meaning as well of having contracts as well. So when Allah says that we seek refuge in this what, are, what is it that we're exactly seeking refuge from? The scholars said three things. Number one, we're seeking refuge from magic. So when we say, وَمِنْ شَبْلِ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ, We seek refuge from marriage. Number two, we seek refuge from the fitna of magicians. Meaning that we should be someone who thinks that that's something which is allowed, or it's a recourse for us to take It's Something which we should do, that we should approach a magician or a sorcerer and ask them, to enact magic on our behalf upon someone. So we seek refuge from magic, we seek refuge from the fitna of magicians, and then number three, we seek refuge from the harm of the magicians when they do so. Right. So if they, someone wants to um, have that magic placed upon us, it is a way of protecting yourself from that magic. And remember, as we said before, that some of the scholars were of the opinion that these two surahs, Falaq and Nas, were revealed ...because of that magic that was placed upon the Prophet wasallam, ...and that Allah revealed these two surahs as a ruqya... ...or as a means of coming out of that magic. Right? And this um, kind of brings us to the last issue with this verse... ...and that is that Allah subhanahu wa taala, ...or rather um, the issue of doing ruqya in and of itself in general. And the hadith of the Prophet wasallam of Jabir radiallahu anhu is in Al-Bukhari, where the Prophet ﷺ spoke about the seventy thousand people from this ummah that will enter into paradise without any punishment, nor any accounting. And then the Prophet ﷺ was asked to describe them. Who are those seventy thousand people? And the Prophet ﷺ said, "They are those people who don't make ruqyah and they don't costrive um, themselves, and they don't, and they trust in their Lord, and they trust." upon their Lord. And one of the things that the Prophet ﷺ said is لا يسترقون. They don't seek for people to make ruqya over them. right? And so some of the scholars took from this that ruqya is something that shouldn't be done. Right? But the correct meaning and the stronger meaning of this hadith is that it doesn't mean that you can't do ruqya over yourselves. What the hadith is speaking about is that it's not something that you should ask others to do over you. Even though that is allowed, because it's mentioned in the sunnah, that the Prophet ﷺ, some companions would come and he would recite over them. And it's mentioned in the Hadith al-Bukhari where you have the group of companions that went and they uh, were traveling and they came across a group of people and they wanted them to host them and they refused. So they went to the outskirts of the town and the leader of that village, or whoever it was, the chief, they were bitten or stung by some type of an insect and they couldn't cure them. So they came to the Muslims and they asked them, do you have anyone that can be a ruqya? So one of the companions said yes, and he went and he recited Surah Al-Fatiha, and the man was cured. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he heard about this, he simply said to them, How did you know it was a ruqya? Right. So the Prophet ﷺ allowed this, right? and so therefore, it is allowed. However, the type of tawakkul that the Prophet ﷺ is referring to, that elevated level of trust in Allah and dependence upon Allah, جل, is when you don't ask other people to do it for you, but you do it over yourself. Trusting in Allah and referring or relying upon Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala alone, and that's because of these hadith that we mentioned. So, for example, the hadith of Jibril salam, when he came and he made ruqya over the Prophet ﷺ, and there, that is an atinmi right, which shows again that it's allowed generally. And obviously, the Prophet Sun is being taught how to make ruqya. So, when Jibril salam is doing it to the Prophet sallam, it is a manner of teaching him. Uh, also because of the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, he said, whosoever enters upon an, a sick person who's not on their deathbed and says, Rabb an Whosoever says, I ask Allah, the Great, the Lord of the Great Throne, that He should cure you, and He says it seven times, that person will be cured. And in the hadith of Ibn majah and the Thawt of ali radiyallahu that the Prophet وسلم, when he used to enter upon a sick person, he would say to them, Bas, nas Ishfi anta La shafi illa And he would make that dua for them. And this was a practice of the Prophet ﷺ. And then we have the hadith that we've mentioned a number of times where the Prophet ﷺ would make dua for his two grandsons, Al-Hassan and Hussein, And he would say, I make this dua for you just as Ibrahim would make it upon Ismail and Ishaq as-salam." And then you have the hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, also in Ibn Majah, that he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he was ill. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Say, اعوذ بالله, اعوذ I seek refuge in the power of Allah and in His ability or in His might from the evil of that which I find saved seven times. He said that I did this and Allah Azza cured me. So the general sunnah and the many hadith that we find in the sunnah show that it is allowed for a person to make ruqiyah upon themselves, to make ruqyah upon others, and to blow before or after they make that ruqya, All of that is established in the sunnah. And therefore, that is you know, the stronger opinion in that issue. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The final verse of the surah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ and from the evil of the one who is jealous or the envious when they envy. right? The ones who are jealous when they become jealous. And there are two um, opinions as to the meaning of the word hasad. Hasad generally is translated as envy and jealousy. But the scholars like Qatada, Rahimahullah, others, they said that it refers to two things. Number one is jealousy in and of itself, so that is hasad. And number two is the evil eye. So we seek refuge in Allah Azza wa From the evil of everything that is created Then from the evil of the night when it darkens Then from the evil of magic and sorcery And then from the evil of jealousy And the evil eye right? This was the opinion of Qatada and ata Ta'ala Muammar said I heard the son of Pawus, And his name is Abdullah Report from his father Dawus Tawus ibn Kaysan rahimahullah Ta'ala One of the famous scholars of Tafsir. He said that he had, and this is a hadith, uh, even though it's not mentioned as a hadith in this narration, but it is a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, Al-Imu the evil eye is true, and if anything was to overpower the decree of Allah, it would have been the evil eye, and if you ask asked to bathe, then you should do so. Right? And we'll go into more detail concerning that, inshallah, um, as, we, as we continue. Others said that the meaning of this verse is that it referred specifically to the Jews. And the jealousy that the Jews had of, for the Prophet. And this was the opinion of some of the scholars of Tafsir. That when Allah says that we seek refuge from the envious when they envy, it was referring specifically to the Jews and the jealousy that they had of the Prophet. But that seems to be, an Allah knows best, a weaker opinion. And the first opinion that it is general. Includes all types of envy and jealousy and all types of the evil eye. That seems to be a stronger opinion, and it's the one that is mentioned by the majority of the scholars of Tafsir. And Imam Al Qurtubi says that Allah, جل, why did He specify jealousy in this surah? Right? So we're speaking about major dangers that Allah is asking us to seek refuge and protection from. Why jealousy? He says for five reasons. He said there are five reasons why Allah mentions jealousy. Number one, because the one who's jealous is hateful of the blessings of Allah when they appear when they appear on someone else. Number one, the one who is jealous is hateful of the blessings of Allah when they appear on someone else, meaning that if that person were to receive those same blessings they would be happy, right? And they'd be you know proud and so on. But when those same blessings are transferred or given to someone else, they are jealous. Number two, because they are displeased with the provision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way that Allah Azzawajal has divided his provision amongst his slaves. So they're jealous and they don't like the way that Allah Azzawajal chose certain people and gave them certain blessings over themselves. Number three, because this person opposes the grace and the bounty of Allah. Because Allah says in the Qur'an, that is the grace of Allah, He gives it to whomsoever He wills. And it's as if this person is saying, No, Allah isn't allowed to give it to whomsoever He wills, He should give it to me. So they oppose the grace and the bounty of Allah, and that Allah gives it to whomsoever He wills. Number four, He opposes the awliya of Allah, or some of the awliya of Allah. If that person is righteous that they're jealous of, someone that Allah has favored because of their piety and their righteousness and their ibadah and their worship of Allah, and they're jealous because of that, then they're opposing someone that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to love and to favor. And number five, because they have helped Iblis. They are helping Iblis to achieve his visions and his goals. And that's why some of the scholars of Tafsir, they mention a hadith, but this hadith is a weak hadith. They, said, they mentioned the hadith, three people, their dua will not be accepted, the one who devours haram, and the one who constantly backbites, and the one who has in their heart jealousy towards another Muslim. Right, these three people, their dua won't be accepted. However, this hadith is weak. So jealousy is what? Jealousy is when a person doesn't want the blessings of Allah to be given to anyone else, or to someone else. Right, that is jealousy. And it is of different levels. One of the levels is that a person doesn't want that, that um, he doesn't want necessarily the blessing himself, but he doesn't want the other person to receive the blessing either. Right? I'm not wealthy, but I don't want him to be wealthy either. I don't have a good job, I don't want them to have a good job either. Right? I couldn't get married, so no one else can get married. That kind of thing. Right? Number two is that they want those blessings at the expense of that person. So they have money, I want the money that they have, and I want them to be poor. Right? They live in a nice house. I want the nice house, and I want them to live in a flat. Right? They drive a nice car. I want the nice car, and I want them to drive not a very nice car. So not only do they not want them to have, or not only do they want the blessing that that person has, but they want it to be removed from the other person. Right? And there is, as we know, a type of jealousy that is allowed, right? And that is usually called amongst the scholars it's called ribta. However, it is mentioned with the word hasad in the sunnah, la hasad illa fithnatain. There is no jealousy except for two, the one to whom Allah has given the Quran or knowledge, and that person spends the day and night with that knowledge, and the one that Allah has given to their mouth and they spend by day and by night. So, that's a type of jealousy. That type of jealousy that is allowed because in that jealousy, that person doesn't want harm. That is a type of competing for good. They don't want that. Those blessings to be removed or they don't want those blessings at the expense of that person but they want to compete with them in good they have good and I would like to compete with them in that good for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there are a number of hadith that speak about jealousy and the evils of jealousy from them is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi Wasallam there has come upon you the evil and the disease of those uh, of those nations that came before you enmity and jealousy and it is the one that shaves; it doesn't shave the hair, but rather it shaves the, the religion. By the one in whose hand has, by the one who has Muhammad's hand, uh, soul in his hand, you will not enter into Jannah until you believe. You will not believe until you love one another. Shall I not tell you what you should do? And you will love one another. Spread the salam amongst you. Right? So that's a hadith that speaks about jealousy. Another hadith the Prophet said, "There doesn't enter into the heart of the believer iman and jealousy." Iman and jealousy don't enter together in the heart of the believer. And then you have the hadith of, um, Abdullah ibn Amr, radiallahu anhuma, that's collected in Ibn Majah and Al-Bayhaqi, that he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, who are the best of people? And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, al qalb, al Lisan. He said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we know al Lisan, the one who is truthful in speech. But what is the meaning of the one who is al qalb? Meaning that their heart is mahmum. What does the word mahmum mean? The Prophet ﷺ said he's the one who is pious and pure. In his heart he doesn't have any sin or any transgression or any jealousy. doesn't have any sin, transgression or jealousy. Right? And that's why the scholars say from the greatest ways of overcoming jealousy or preventing jealousy or protecting your yourself from the harm of jealousy is to read these two surahs. To read these two surahs and to memorize them and to read them as well also from the ways of protecting oneself from jealousy, is not to boast about the the blessings that Allah has given to you. And that doesn't mean that you can't show those blessings or speak of them in a way that is reminding others. Because Allah says in the Qur'an, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثُ And as for the blessings of your Lord, then discuss them. Meaning speak of them in a way that is good, that will remind others to turn to Allah and praise Allah and come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, when it's done in a way that is boastful, or arrogant, or has pride in it in a way that then demeans others, or makes people feel jealous, and you know that they will feel jealous. That's something which has to be or should be avoided because of the hadith of Ali radiyallahu Tabarani that the Prophet said, "Help yourselves by concealing Allah's, um, by concealing Allah's blessings. For indeed, the one who has blessing will be envied." Right? meaning that don't boast about it, right? don't go out and front it if you don't need to do so, um, you should be wise in the way that this is done. Also from the ways that the scholars say that you protect yourself from jealousy and from its harms and its evils, is by making the daily adhkar in the morning and the evening, and especially by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as the Prophet sallallahu said in the hadith of Abu Dawood, whoever wakes up in the morning and says, "Allahumma ma Oh Allah, any blessing that I have received or I have this morning, it is from you alone. None has the right to be worshipped except you. So all praise and thanks is for you. The Prophet said this person has given their gratitude for that day. And whosoever says it in the evening, then they have given their gratitude for that evening. Right? Simply by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his, um, his blessings. Also from the ways of doing this or of preventing jealousy. And the harms of jealousy is by fasting three days in the month. In the hadith in the Nasa'i, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Shall I not inform you what will remove the evilness of the heart or the the the, the envy of the heart?" He said, "By fasting three days a month." So the optional fast of three days of of the month is something which is mentioned in the Sunnah. And we know also by having just generally good feelings, right, by being those people that, that have that clear their thoughts, clear their minds, clear their feelings from people who may have offended them in the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an, where the man came into the masjid on three consecutive days and the Prophet said, this man who enters is from the people of Jannah. Three days he entered and on the fourth day, one of the companions went and he spent the night with him to see what type of ibadah he does, what worship is he engaging in, that Allah that the Prophet made him from the people of paradise. And he found that he didn't have anything special. didn't do anything more than anyone else was doing. So the next morning he said to him that, I came to you because I heard the Prophet ﷺ say this. But I didn't find you on any elevated rank of worship or doing anything special. What is it that caused the Prophet ﷺ to say this about you? So the man replied and he said that, I don't know anything. That I do except that every single night before I sleep, I clear my heart from any ill ill feelings or hatred that I may have towards another person. And then I sleep. So the companion said, this is the reason why the Prophet wasallam spoke about you in this way, and this hadith, is in النساء. So that's one opinion, right? That's the opinion of the scholars who say that it refers to jealousy. Another opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir, and, and by the way, both of them are like complementary, is that it refers to the evil eye. So when we seek Allah's refuge from jealousy or hasad, it refers to jealousy, but it also refers to the evil eye. And this is also something which is mentioned um, in, in, uh, in the books of the sunnah. Ibn al qayyim rahimahullah, he says, that when a person gives the evil eye, it's because they have jealousy. But a person who is jealous doesn't necessarily give the evil eye. The evil eye is something when a person sees something that they are amazed by. A blessing that someone has or something that that person is amazed with, they consider to be good, and they forget to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or praise Allah azza wa jalla or invoke the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then that feeling of their heart that is jealousy it can lead to harm towards that person right and that's why the scholar said that the one who has jealousy doesn't necessarily give the evil eye because all of us you know we're human right at points you feel jealous of someone because of some blessing that they see but when you seek Allah's refuge or you withhold those feelings of jealousy you don't let it go to that next stage then it's not something which Allah holds you to account for. But when it turns into something that becomes harmful, detrimental, has enmity behind it, then it can lead to the evil eye. Okay. And it's mentioned in the hadith um, in uh, Al-Bukhari and Muslim, the hadith of Aisha anhu, that the Prophet wasallam, she said, used to tell me to seek Allah's protection from the evil eye. He used to command me to seek refuge in Allah from the evil eye. And in the hadith that is collected in Sahih Muslim, and the Muslim Ibn Muhammad and at Tirmidhi, the hadith of Ibn Abbas, رضي الله عنهما, that we mentioned, ainu the evil eye is true. And if anything were to overcome Qadr, the decree of Allah, it would have been the evil eye. Meaning, and obviously everything is under the decree of Allah. Meaning that the Prophet ﷺ is saying that if anything were to have overcome that, nothing overcomes the decree of Allah because everything is under the decree of Allah. But if anything were to, it would have been the evil eye. Meaning what? Meaning that when Allah gives a blessing to someone, it's given for a certain period of time. A person is wealthy, and that wealth was written for them for 10 years, 5 years, 1 year, 20 years. If anything was to have removed that blessing, it would have been the evil eye. That's the meaning of the hadith. That's what it means by overpowering, overcoming. Right. It means that if anything were to take away the blessings that Allah has decreed for you, it would be the evil eye. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, and if you are asked to bathe, then do so. And we'll come to what that means because it's mentioned in the hadith. In the hadith of Asma' binti Umais radiallahu anha, collected by Imam Ahmad and Tirmidhi, she said, O Messenger of Allah, the people of Banu Ja'far, Banu Ja'far is a tribe, the people of Banu Ja'far are always given the evil eye. So shall we not make ruqyah over them? So the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, for indeed if anything was to overcome the decree of Allah, it would have been the evil eye. And in the hadith, Aba Aisha radiallahu anha collected in Abu Dawood, she used to say that if someone was known to give the evil eye, they would be commanded to make wudu, or they would be commanded to make ghusl. Right? And what does that mean? It's, actually mentioned in more detail in the hadith that is collected in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and al-Nasai and ibn Hibban in the hadith of Uqba uh, ibn Amir عنه, that a companion or that the Prophet was traveling with a group of companions and then they stopped in a place and one of the companions, a man by the name of Sahel ibn Hunayf one of the companions, I think it was from the Ansar and he's from the people of Badr, like one of the major companions of the Prophet ﷺ, known for to be extremely handsome. Someone who was extremely good-looking, extremely handsome. He went and he, um, he prayed. He uh, didn't pray. He bathed. He went to wash himself. And as he was washing himself, one of the other companions, Amir ibn Rabi'ah, passed by and he saw just a part of his leg being exposed. He saw a part of his leg being exposed. And he said, looking at the beauty of his skin, that I've never seen beauty like this. Right? Or something similar to those words. In some narrations, it said that I've never even seen the skin of a virgin to be like this. Right? Meaning that he praised him. Sahal ibn Hulaif, he collapsed. He collapsed and he fell unconscious. So when they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they told him, this is what happened, the Prophet ﷺ replied and he said, who do you accuse? Meaning that the Prophet ﷺ understood that this is a case of evil eye who you accuse? And they said, Amir ibn Rabi'ah said this, O oh, Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called him and he became angry and he said, Why does one of you kill his brother? Surely if you saw something that amazed you, you should have asked Allah to bless it. Meaning you should have invoked the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning you say, MashaAllah, Tabarak Allah. Something like this, as Allah mentions in the Quran also in Surah al Kahf. And then he told him to make wudu' or to wash and that water was collected and it was poured over Sahal ibn Hunayf عنه, and he uh, awoke again and he became back to normal right? so this hadith is also something which shows and this is the meaning of the hadith if you're asked to make wudu then you make wudu right? if you ask asked to bathe you give them the water of that bathing or of that wudu so that it can be poured over that person ibn Qayyim Allah and others they said that a person who is well known to give the evil eye the Muslim ruler should imprison them Because their harm is greater than the harm of many others, right? And it's a harm if they're well-known. And apparently, like, there were people who, you know, in in previous, like, times were well-known for this, right? And the Muslim rulers would jail them or imprison them because of the harm that they used to do. And some of the scholars mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ told us that if we eat onions and garlic, we should stay away from the masjid because of the harm that it causes others. They said that that's a harm that is relatively minimal. Right? It's a harm that you know, isn't really a major issue. It's not really going to hurt someone physically. It's not going to cause them problems or upset their family or anything. So therefore the harm of the one who causes the evil eye is far greater and much greater than this harm that is being mentioned um, in this other uh, hadith. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, and with that inshallah we come to the conclusion of Surah Al-Faraq. Any questions? Questions All right. um, is it better to exclusively do ruqya upon yourself as opposed to asking someone to do it because it's a higher level of, of your point, um without third party? So is it better to do ruqya upon yourself or ask someone else to do ruqya? It is generally better for you to do ruqya upon yourself. Right? And this is the general practice of the Prophet ﷺ. And even generally, when when the Prophet would would ask his companions to be roqia, like in the Hadith of Aisha, he's telling her to make roqia upon herself. Right? The ruqya is done upon others when they are unable to do it themselves. So, for example, children, right? So in the Hadith of al Hassan and Hussein, the young children, they don't understand, right? And they don't know how to make ruqyah. So you make roqia over children. Someone sick or seriously ill you know, they're unconscious or they're seriously ill and they're not going to make ruqya over themselves because of the health condition, you make ruqya over them, right? Or someone who doesn't know how to make ruqya and they need to be taught so for teaching purposes, just to show them how to do it, you do it for them once or twice, so that then they learn how to make the ruqya over themselves and Allah knows best And there's a follow-up to that, what's the best dua for the ruqya the So the ruqyas are of many types right? depending on, on sometimes the specific ailment but generally the ruqyas are of many types, right? So, you know, magic has its own Luqiyah and the evil eye has its own Luqiyah and general ruqyah from being ill and then you have the d- daily adhkar, which is a form of ruqyah as well. But generally, like, for example, ayatul kursi Surah Fatiha, Surah Falaq, Surah Nas, Surah Ikhlas, and then there are certain du'as, some of them that we mentioned in this lesson, between previous lessons. But I think if you go back to, like, one of those books, um, like, Hismu Muslim, Fortress of the Muslim Muslim thing, they should all be in there. And I think also... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you know, like on YouTube, you have those, you have people that have read out the Ruqya, right? So there's like all the du'as that we mentioned, audio form that you can, and probably written form as well that you can refer to. Is that it? Anything from last week? We more online, but... Anyone else? Have any questions here? I can't Yeah. Shef, you mentioned uh, there's protection from jealousy. that fasting three days. Is that the white days or is it any three days of the month? So the general, hadith, um, the general uh, So this hadith is general. It's generic. So any three days of the month. But obviously we have like other hadith that speak about the benefits of, of fasting, what are called al beed or the white days, right? the 13th, 14th, 15th of every lunar month. So therefore if you combine the two, then obviously you get the benefits of both. And Allah knows best. Is it sunnah to say masha'allah or allahumma mabarakullah we a blessing? So the sunnah is to invoke Allah's blessings, right? And if a person says Masha Allah or Mashaalla la ta illa billah or masha'allah tibarak Allah," that's enough. And if someone chooses to say "Allahumma barik," that's okay as well. But um to say Masha'Allah is mentioned, like it's mentioned in the sunnah is mentioned in the Qur'an. In, the, in Surah Al-Kahf in the story of the man with the two gardens وَلَوْ لَا إِدْ جَنَّتَكَ قُلْتَ مَا شَاءَ اللَّهُ If only when you entered your garden because this man was impressed by the blessings that Allah had given to him if only you were to have said مَا شَاءَ اللَّهُ illa billah. بِاللَّهِ right? this The scholars of tafsir and many others said therefore it's something which you should say when you have blessings and that you see from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anything else? What was that uh, please, can you clarify when one does ruqya upon oneself or a child, blowing into their hands and wiping over oneself, is allowed? Um, it says you mentioned that before, but um, is that the majority? Of yeah. Some- so, as we said, the stronger opinion is that it's allowed for you to blow once, whilst making ruqya whether you blow upon your children if you're reading over them, or you blow upon yourself, and wiping over yourself. That's also mentioned in the sunnah, both of them, inshallah. Finally, just mentioned because we're doing tafsir you know, obviously that there's differences of opinion that some of the scholars disliked it because of the verse that we mentioned, right? So, when we mention those differences of opinion, it's because it's mentioned in the books of Tafseer, Um, you know, and then, you know, that's just like, so that we give like the full picture, but then the stronger opinion and what the Sunnah supposes is that it's, inshallah, allowed, and that there's no problem with it. Is that right? Okay, so inshallah, inshallah uh, for attending, BarakAllahu Fikum. صلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه اجمعين والسلام عليكم الله وبركاته